Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I'm your host, Kay Edwards, and I'd like to just um, welcome you to the show today. But before we get started, I'm going to start with my housekeeping and my announcements. So, as all of you know, COVID-19 has disrupted everyone's life, and Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We want you to know that we've been making every effort to ensure the health and well-being of not only our host and staff, but of the community at large as well. So we've closed both our studios and we've canceled all our live events. All the hosts are either doing pre-records from their home, or some of them are fortunate enough to be doing live shows as well, or they're picking out their best programs from previous shows and they're rebroadcasting them. We want you to know that we're here for you and that we are going to continue to bring you the best programming as we always have. With most of our revenue streams evaporated, evaporated, we need your help. So that means we're still taking donations. Our birthday is next week. Yay, happy birthday, Radio Free Brooklyn. And we're still taking donations. So if you feel in your heart to give, go to our page. You'll see the donate button. Click on it and give whatever you can. Each amount is greatly appreciated. So with that, I'd like to get on with the show. As you know, 
today's Mother's Day, and I know this year we're celebrating in a different manner. But the love is still the same, right? If you're a mother, naturally or by proxy, I want you to know that this is not a job to be taken lightly. And I am sure that many, many of us have become more aware of that having the kids home for the past month or so. It requires all of you to be diligent, patient, understanding, strong, but yet remain gentle. Motherhood is something that you don't master. It just gets perfect as time goes on. Probably by the time they're 50, maybe you feel you've gotten it right. So to all, I send love on this Mother's Day. So now we're going to go right into the show. And today we're going to continue with the topic that we started last week. That topic was habits. And we asked the question, what habits are controlling your life? So at the conclusion of last week, we ended talking about habits, how they work and how they are formed. So habits dictate how we behave and in turn, it forms our character. Our characters are shaped by our choices and by the decisions that we have made. So now I said that the word habit is an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it becomes involuntary. So every habit starts with the behavior pattern called a habit loop. There are three parts to the habit loop. It's the cue, the routine, and the reward. The cue is the trigger, which is the signal to your brain. The routine is the behavior and the reward is the external or internal satisfaction that your brain receives for following through with the task. So if you're accustomed to having a cigarette after a meal, once you finish eating everything or anything, um, your brain starts to look for the completion of the task because it's accustomed to having a cigarette. So um, that's why it's so hard for people to stop smoking. So today we're going to begin with how do we break bad habits or how do we break negative habits? I don't want to call any habit bad. I just want to call it a negative one. Okay. So negative habits usually have negative effects on our lives, right? So, which is not the same as having a sinful habit. And we'll go into that later on in the show. But for this part, we're only going to talk about the negative habits. So you must identify, the first thing you must do is identify what you consider to be a negative habit. This will vary from person to person because what might be negative to you, like staying up late, might not be negative to me because I do my best work when I stay up late because it's quiet. I don't have a lot of distractions and I really don't have to get up early in the morning. Now that might be a bad habit for you if you have to get up early in the morning because then when it's time for you to get up, you're not able to function in your normal daily routines because you're tired. So what, what a bad habit to one may not be a bad habit to someone else. So once you identify what um, the problem, you list the problems, right? That you have in your life and then you try to recognize the pattern of behavior that might bring about these problems. So once you do that, 
then you can isolate the habit loop. Like you can understand why is it that you keep repeating this pattern that you can't seem to break. So once you isolate the pattern loop, the, the habit loop, that you look for the cues, you look for the routines that follow the cues, and then you look for the rewards that promoted the behavior in the first place. So we'll go back to, we'll use cigarettes as an example again. So if you're accustomed to eating at a specific time during the day, change up the time of day that you eat or change up what you might be eating. Like if you eat at 12, eat at one or maybe eat at two because see, your brain is going to be used to, okay, 12 o'clock we eat. We usually sit around and talk afterwards. And by 1245, I'm having that cigarette. But if you break up that pattern, your brain is not looking for it to come in that way. So it almost has to learn it all over again. So you vary the, what the cues and the triggers would be, although you're still doing the same routine because you're going to eat, but you're, you're staggering the times at when you eat it so that that trigger is not the same thing that your brain will look for as the cigarette being the reward in the end. Then you modify the content that promotes you to do the negative behavior. So when we have negative habits, it usually includes um, contextual elements. Like for example, we'll engage in a negative habit if we're bored, like eating, like snacking. Like I noticed that if I get bored, I wanna eat snacks. So that's one thing that I would have to change up, not, be, not associating eating snacks with being bored, or if we're stressed, or if we're hurt, or if we're procrastinating about not wanting to do something that usually would promote us to have a negative behavior because we're trying to get out of whatever it is that we're feeling at the moment. So we replace the negative habit with a positive one. And when we do that, it's because we're trying to rid ourselves of the, the negative habit. And that could sometimes prove to be very difficult. So it's easier than trying to just totally eliminate the negative habit if we take something and replace it replace something good with what was in the position of what we consider to be bad. So our brain becomes accustomed to doing the swap and that forces another new routine so that the brain doesn't look to want to do the bad one. It'll now look to do the good one. And while we're trying to break these negative habits, it's not easy. Who can break a negative habit? What will, okay. First of all, when you get a habit, you have to go through the loop. So your body's accustomed to constantly doing it in that manner. So when you're trying to break it and you're trying to incorporate the good ones in now, it's going to be that much harder because your brain is going to constantly want to go back to the negative habit that it was accustomed to. So what we have to do, sometimes we need to seek support. Sometimes we need outside help in order to, to assist us in breaking these negative habits. And now, I'm talking about the real serious negative habits. Like if you're, a, if you have a drinking problem, you might want to enlist the help of an AA meeting. Or if you're a gambler, you might want to go to gamblers anonymous. Or if you're addicted to drugs, you might want to go to narcotics anonymous. If you have an eating disorder, they even have an anonymous for that too. It's called eating disorder anonymous. You know, there's, Right now in today's world, people are suffering with so many different things 
that there's a group out there for everything. You just have to look for it. You will find the, your group that can help you weather through whatever it is that you need to try to get over or try to eliminate completely out of your life. And th for the most part, what you really have to remember is do not get discouraged because you're not gonna be successful right away. You have to think about it. Your body didn't learn to do that overnight, so you're not going to forget how to do it overnight. So what you have to remember is Number one, these ham these habits didn't form overnight. They they started out as little routines that the brain picked up and it kept. So yes, they're going to be hard to break, and it will probably take several attempts to replace the negative habit with a good habit. But with trial and error, a bad habit can eventually be replaced with one that'll be beneficial for your life. All you have to do is put in the work and you see what, what works well for you and what doesn't work well for you and you tweak it and you change it till you get it right and you actually are eliminating the habit that you wanna get rid of overall. So that's our view on negative habits. Okay, so now we're gonna go into how do we form good habits? And we're gonna take um, a scripture from Proverbs 4. So Proverbs 4, four to six, and I'm reading from the NIV. Take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commandments, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. So in order to form good habits, we want to keep wisdom in our life and understanding, right? We want to keep it that everything we do is going to work for our better. So it starts again with the habit loop. All habits start with that habit loop. It's always going to be cue, routine, reward. Cue, routine, reward. That's good or bad, good or negative habits, right? So we isolate the cue, identify what is the trigger, which tells your brain to begin the routine. And it, um, it'll state that most, okay, it's stated that most habitual cues fit into five categories. So now if you think about it, location, time, emotional state, other people, and everything immediately preceding an action. So let's just say, for example, we're going to use, okay, we're going to, we want to start a good habit of doing early morning, early morning devotions, right? So now we think about location. So if it's an early morning devotion, that means nine times out of 10, it's going to be in our bedroom or someplace close to where, when we get up in the morning, right? So that's our location. If we figure about our time, you usually, if you're going to do your early morning devotion, you're going to do it prior to when you have to start getting ready to start your daily routine. So you say you set a time for yourself, maybe a half hour before you would normally get up in the morning, a half hour to 45 minutes before you normally get up. Your emotional state, of course, you're going to be a little sleepy because you're just waking up. But as time goes on, you're going to know because your body is going to get accustomed to waking up at that time. So you're going to be looking forward to getting up to do this task. 
the other people in the picture, everyone in the house is asleep. So that's what your brain is telling. Okay, everybody in the house is asleep, so I can do this. And your action that immediately follows all those cues is that you will get up and you'll start doing your routine. So now here it is. Your cue is your alarm clock gets goes off 45 minutes before you have to get up. You get up, you do your prayer or whatever, and then you start your reading because everything else is going in the daily time in that same time in the morning, it's going to be the same. So your brain is going to take those triggers. Okay. I got to get up earlier. Okay. I see where I'm at. I'm in my bedroom or I get up and I go to a sitting room, wherever's more comfortable for me. I look at my location. It's, you know, I'm in my home, the people, everyone is sleeping around me. And then immediately following my brain, knowing all those cues, it knows, all right, we're going to start devotion. So that's when you either start your meditation, you start your praise and worship, you start reading, you pray, whatever it is that you do, that's going to start your daily devotion. So that's how you can start to say, if that was just an example of if you wanted to do early morning devotion, how you can get yourself accustomed to getting up and doing that. So now also with the cues, you want to also put into your brain, a if, and then a then so that your brain knows, okay, because, okay, using the example of early morning devotion, if you don't like getting up early in the morning to begin with, you're not going to want to get up 45 minutes to a half hour earlier. That's just not going to be something that you're going to be looking forward to. So your brain is automatically going to have, I don't want to do this. So it's going to be harder to form a habit with that. But if you give it a if and then to deal with, even though you're lying there in your bed, you're like, oh, I don't want to get up right now. But if you say, you know what, if I get up right now and do it, then as soon as I'm done, I can have my first cup of coffee to start my day. So it's almost jumping your body into saying, jumping your brain into saying, okay, if we do this, then we can have that. So that's almost like the way you set up your reward for, um, for your brain. You do it with the if and the then. So you train your brain to learn this different behavior. So it's like, I'm giving my brain a goal and it's going to look forward to achieving that goal because it knows that once I do the goal, then I'm going to get something that's going to make me happy. So that's how you start to get your brain accustomed to, um, developing good habits. Then secondly, you have to plan and evaluate. So just like negative habits are hard to break, good habits are hard to create. It's because it's not a habit yet. So you have to force the brain, like I said before, to remember the habit loop. And then that's the most difficult part of the process, especially if it's something that your brain is fighting against, like getting up early. If your brain is fighting against it, then it's not going to pick it up right away and it's not going to accept it. So that's why you have to keep giving it different triggers to make it understand that this is a good thing that's going on with it right now. But normally if it's, if it's a habit that, uh, let's see if sometimes some habits you don't have to force yourself to remember, because if you like doing it automatically, you're just going to do it. It's just something that you'll even remind yourself, Ooh, I forgot to do. And then you'll start doing it. And then that becomes a habit. Now that could be good or 
or negative, good or bad. It just depends on what the habit is. But for the ones that you really want to say, you know, I really want to remember to do this. Like, okay, like I said with me with the snacking, I want to remember not to eat snacks when I get bored. So now if I'm starting to feel bored, I'm going to have to force my brain to not think of get a donut, get potato chips. I'm going to have to force my brain to want to do something else other than let's do that. So I'm trying to, to get rid of a negative habit and also put in a good habit at the same time where that probably wasn't a good example because we were just talking about just how to pick up good habits overall. So maybe I should look at something like exercise because I eat snacks when I'm bored. If I now implement doing more exercise during the day, that's a good habit that I could enforce my brain to say, okay, let's do this. And I train my brain to do that while on the other side, I'm learning how to get rid of the negative habit, but I'm not using the exercise in place of, you see what I mean? I'm actually forming the good habit on its own, which would be the exercise, which would be beneficial to offset the snacks that I probably ate when I was bored, when I had the negative habit. So that's kind of like a, a good example of that. So like with all habits, like I said, it's the habit loop. You have the cue, you have the routine, and then you have the reward. So now we've gone over negative habits and we've gone over good habits. So now we also have a category of habits that are known as sinful habits. So now for the most part, if you're not saved and following Christ, anything that most people don't look at anything that they do as being sinful. Even if it is sinful, they're not going to put it in that category as being sinful because they're not following a certain protocol on how to live their life. But when you're a Christian, there are certain things that you know you should not be doing. You just know you should not be doing it. So those are the sinful habits that fall under that category. And now sinful habits usually include acts of temptation that will lead us away from God, right? So when you consider the sins that are most dominant in your life, you have to make an evaluation on whether this sin is deep rooted and persistent. Like you might have a sin that's not something that you do all the time. It just might be a little sin. Well, there are no such things as a little sin, but we like to put them in categories, but in God's eyes, a sin is a sin is a sin. But as humans, we always want to categorize things just so it makes it easier for us to deal with. So now when it comes to sinful habits, we have to think about take one in your, and everyone that's a Christian knows what sins they commit. We'll use the one of, for this example, we'll use gossip. And when we use gossip, because we know we're not supposed to talk about other people, you know, we know we're not supposed to talk negatively about other people. So if we use that as being a sin, right? We have to acknowledge that that's a sin to us. That's one thing we have to do is tell our brain, we acknowledge that we've committed that sin. But not only did we acknowledge that we committed that sin, we're acknowledging that we committed that sin against God, right? Because 
you have to think of it in that regard because even though we know that he's all forgiving and we know that he's merciful, our spirit has to recognize that those actions of the gossiping was a hurtful act against him. That's why we want to acknowledge that we've committed a sin. Okay. So when you acknowledge that you've committed that sin, you allow yourself to feel the guilt, right? And you allow yourself to feel the guilt, not so that you could beat yourself up, <clears throat> excuse me, not that you want to beat yourself up because we all recognize that, you know, when we're guilty, it separates us from God. And it's not that we want to have a pity party either. We acknowledge the guilt so that we don't gloss over it like it's not a major, a, a major act or it's not important. That's why we have to acknowledge the guilt. Because if you just say, oh, well, I just talked about her and it was no big deal. She didn't know I was talking about it and nobody get hurt. I was just, no, because that almost is almost like as if you're telling yourself, all right, yeah, well, I did it and it's no big deal. But that's not it. You have to really feel what it is that you did was wrong. So in acknowledging the guilt and you feel the weight of the guilt, it makes you want to repent. Because then if, you're, if you feel really bad about what you did, then you want to repent for the sin that you've committed. And of course, you know, repentance means to feel sorry or remorse for something or to feel such regret for past conduct as to change your mind regarding it. So you have to feel that guilt in order to want to repent from it because you're trying to trigger the brain not to do that again because you don't want to feel that guilt and that weight on you for to repeat it again. So when we feel the, the guilt and we want to repent, then we repent because we go then to seek the deliverance of whatever act it is that we're doing from God. Because at that point, it's him that's going to have to take that part of our character out of our name, you know, that, that part of us out, uh, out of our nature. We have to get that whatever act it is that we're committing out of the, our character so that we can then go on to live better lives and not keep doing the same acts over and over and over. So the next thing you have to do is consider the temperament that has made you feel that way to want to commit that sin. Meaning that is it, is it your behavior or your attitude that's fueling this sin? Like what is it that's happening in your life? What habits are happening in your life that makes you want to constantly keep acting like this? Or, you know, if it comes to, okay, we're going to use gossip again. If you're at, you know, do you gossip because you're arrogant and when you get arrogant, it makes you get very prideful. So when you get prideful, it makes you be insensitive to others because you think you're better than them. So then you start gossiping about them because they're like, Oh, well, who is she? Because she's not me. And see how one thing leads to the next one thing leads to the next without you even really thinking about it. But because you had that whole attitude that you're so good and everything you do is so good, it makes you get puffed up. And you're better than everybody. So it's easy for you to go and gossip about an individual. So you have to be mindful of the triggers that 
the sin raises in your life? What are the triggers that make that sin become a constant in your life? So if you're well accomplished, the first thing you have to remember is instead of looking at it as, oh, look what I did, look what I got for myself, you have to remember that you didn't get there alone. It was all by the grace of God and the blessings of the Lord that allowed you to prosper and have what you have in the first place. So I know this is kind of hard for those of you who don't believe in God to think or feel that way, because a lot of times people who don't believe in a higher power will say, oh yeah, well I did this on my own. You know, if it wasn't for my hard work and my efforts, I would have never gotten here. But everyone, whether you want to believe it or not, everything that you've gotten in your life is a blessing and the blessing came from on high. So you could acknowledge it or not acknowledge it, but it doesn't change the fact of that's where it came from. So eventually you'll come around to realizing that that's what the truth is. But until you get there, I'm just going to continue with the whole conversation of just knowing that if you look at it in the sense of, you know what, I didn't get here on my own and if it wasn't for the grace of God and the blessings that I would not be in a position that I'm in and I could just as easily be in a position of the person that I'm talking about. They could, they too can be in my position and I could just as easily be them. So you have to fight the urge to commit that sin, right? And that comes from what helps you fight that urge is when you remain humble, when you're forever grateful for the blessings that God has placed on your life. And you see how you could become a blessing to others. It makes you that who are, you know, less fortunate. It makes it that much easier for you not to puff yourself up. If you look at them and be there before the grace of God, go I, you know, so that would help you to start to break down, to not commit that sin. And then you look in expectation for God to speak peace to your soul concerning that sin. Before you exonerate yourself as, oh, I've, I'm over that, I no longer commit that sin, you have to have God speak to your heart concerning that sin. Let his word work through you in order for you to get rid of it. Don't convince yourself. You wait for God to convince you that he's totally pulled that out of you. Because when you convince yourself, you could very well started up all over again because you think here we go again you're in control so you're the one that's doing everything so you can stop and go and go whenever you want because everything revolves around you so you see how that cycle repeats itself over and over and over so the sinful act is actually a spirit that you're fighting with and it's actually a stronghold so and we all know there are forces of darkness just trying to keep you out of the light, right? We know this. There's forces of darkness that's constantly trying to fight against you and you being obedient to the light. So here I have 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6 out of the NIV to explain to you the darkness for the dark forces that are fighting against you with the light, okay? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take 
captivity every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So when you look at that scripture, those three scriptures, because I read 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6, those three scriptures actually tell you how you're fighting against the sinful habits that you have within you and what the process is in order to get rid of them. So that right there is a good explanation. You could go back and read it on your own. Like I said, it's 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6. And now the best method of breaking sinful habits is to develop a routine of reading scriptures that meditate to your spirit when you're feeling discouraged about whatever act it is that you're, you know, committing. So when you find scriptures that speak to your heart to, let's just say, um, like, okay, let's see. Uh, if we have a sin of, oh, okay. Say if we have a sin of, say, overeating. Okay. Say we have a, a, like me. Okay. We'll go back to me with the snacks again. If I'm constantly, constantly, constantly eating these snacks, eating these cakes, eating these donuts that makes me put on weight, the spirit, the, the scripture that I would use to help me get over that act of being a glutton at that point would be my body is the temple. And I have to preserve this temple in order for it to be the place where the Holy Spirit dwells in order for me to fulfill my purpose. So if I do the scripture of my body is the temple, then I'm not going to want to take this temple and destroy it by eating all the sweets and the candies and the snacks that's going to make it not be healthy, not be able to function in the manner that it should and that the manner of why I was born, I want to remain healthy so that I could have strength to go out there and spread the gospel and give the word like he wants me to, which is my purpose. So you take scriptures that speak to your spirit that help you combat whatever it is, the sinful act that you're doing. And that's what helps you get over and break those sinful habits, right? So... We must make a conscious effort to choose which habits we want to form and which ones we want to break. Both tasks play a key role in our journey towards our better life. So that right there wraps up everything when it comes to habits. Everything you wanted to know about them, how they're formed, how you can get rid of them, how you can make new ones, all of it. So with that, I think it's music time. It gives us enough to think about with the habits that we spoke about. So I'm going to play some songs. I think I'm going to take it back. I think I'm going to take it back because I'm feeling like taking it back a little bit. So I'm going to play some songs that take it back in a day and then we'll return and we'll finish our conversation with the rest of the show. See you in a bit.
Okay, I hope you enjoyed those two selections. I told you I was going to take it back. I just felt it in my spirit that I wanted to hear those two songs. So there you have it. So now we've come to the op-ed part of our show, which is where we discuss current events. Now, this has been on my heart since I heard the story. Of course, I'm sure everyone knows what I'm going to talk about. It's about the killing of the black man while he was running jogging actually and how he was chased down and shot by two other men right okay now this is disturbing to me on so many levels because number one why can't a black man run without someone suspecting him of being guilty of a crime that's number one because see personally I see Caucasian people running every day past my house. Should I assume that they did something and call the cops? Because I mean, they're running. They might've done something. So maybe, so maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm not doing my due diligence. When I see people running in the street past my house, I should call the cops and say, look, you need to go check this out because it's not like I could jump in my car and follow them because we're in no carry state, right? So secondly, the, the part that bothers me is when the cops went to tell the guy's mother, now the guy's name is Ahmad, Ahmad or Arbery, that's his name. And he was shot in Georgia, in, a, in his neighborhood while he was jogging. So now when they went to tell his mother that her son was shot, she said that the police told her that her son was involved in a burglary and that there was a confrontation between her son and the home over struggling, the homeowner struggling over a gun. And now the story first came out when they confronted the two guys that did the shooting, a father and son duo. When they confronted them, they said that it was self-defense, right? Likely story. Everybody's always claiming self-defense, right? They needed to defend themselves from a black man jogging in the neighborhood. So they decided to change the story because they found out there's this um, citizen's arrest statute that they can use on the books. So they decided to say that they were making a citizen's arrest because they were trying to stop a crime. So now the statement is that he had stopped while he was running, he had stopped to look at a house that was under construction. He looked in the window I guess to see, you know, how the house was going to turn out, you know, what the layout was. And, but the prosecutors aren't sure really what happened or what the real story is. But even if that were the case, somebody could stop and look in the window of a house under construction. We do it here in New York City. If we see homes that are being constructed, like out in Canarsie, when they started that new plan and out there in Gateway, they started all those homes that all those row homes that they were doing. People were going, when they drove by, when you saw it, you were like, oh, wow. You actually were driving through the streets looking at the homes that they were putting up. You want to know what's coming into your neighborhood. That's what everyone does when you put up new construction in a neighborhood. People stop and look at the new construction. So now, of course, you know, here's my question, which I probably shouldn't even ask it, but I will, because I want everybody to have something to think about. My question is, and I want you to think about it, 
do we ever think that this is going to stop when a black per person can just be who they are, a black person in the street, regardless of whether they're running, walking, riding a bike, drinking soda, eating candy, whatever. I mean, really, but I have the answer to that. And the answer to that is no, you will never be able to just be a black person in America walking down the street without someone of another persuasion thinking that you're up to something. And that's because racism in America is the fabric of our being here. It's, it's woven into the American flag. We will not get past racism. I don't care how many times people say, oh, if you teach tolerance, if you just teach people to get along, not when it comes to black, white here in America. Because I told you from, if you go back into my archives, those of you who have not heard the story, when I did the story of for February, for Black History Month, the whole thing with racism is an economic, it's an economic problem here when it comes to us and them. And I say us and them because that's the way they look at us, as us and them. So they see a black man running in the street, the first thing they think of is, oh, he's up to something. I gotta be the savior of the neighborhood and go stop him from doing whatever it is he's doing instead of allowing him to live his life that he's entitled to live. But in their mind, we're not entitled to live it. We're not entitled to do anything as far as they're concerned. So this is where I say, we got to start making changes for ourselves. We have to start making changes for ourselves, and we have to start handling things for ourselves. So now on another note, now the country's opening up, right? All these different states are opening up their restaurants. I heard department stores are supposed to be opening up shortly. And, um, now the CDC put out guidelines that told, you know, states how they could start opening up again. But the White House has been suppressing that information. They're actually hiding the information from the CDC of how states should start to open up their cities and towns and things of that nature so that people can go out and not have to worry about this virus spiking up again so okay we know he's doing this because elections are coming up soon and he wants it to seem like he was the hero he was the savior oh my gosh if it wasn't for him we'd all be dead right about now and look how he got the economy back working he needs to stay in there another four years but you know what the scary part about that is even if that's his plan the scary part about that is he still has his base. His base is not wavering. This man in their mind can do no wrong. And I'm not mad at him. I'm not mad at him at all because they're standing on the grounds of what they believe, be it whether we agree with it or not. The thing that I want us to be diligent with is stand on the ground of what we believe. See, we won't stand on the ground of what we believe because we'll be like, oh, well, you know, 
that's what they want to do. So, you know, we can't really do anything about that. No, I don't want to change their mind. Be ignorant if you want to. I'm to the point where I give you the information. You want to continue down the path you're going? Go skipping merrily down the road. Whatever. What I want us to do, those of us who have some intelligence, get your people out there and tell them they need to vote. The more people that vote, because when he won this election, there was a lot of people that did not vote. Those people need to come out and vote. Okay? Because once they do, then we'll see who's really out there doing what for who. Right? That's the only thing I need to say on that. What I always told you, it's about voting in those who are going to do what's best for you and the country overall. Everybody just can't have their own go back to your neutral corners. I'm only voting for this one because they're going to do something for me. It ain't about you. It's not all about you. We learned from this pandemic. It's not all about you. Whether you like it or not, we're all entwined in this together. So we all got to live in this pot together. So the pot might as well be stirred where everybody's comfortable while it's being stirred, right? So now with that, I want to go to our word and our promise. Now, last week was the first Sunday of the month and I forgot to do our word. So I'm going to give us the word today and it's going to carry over into, you know, for the rest of the month. Our word for this month is reset. And that means to start again, to set again. That's what I want us to do. I want us to reset our lives after this isolation. I want us to reset our thinking about the status quo. I want us to reset everything that we did before that got us into this mess that allowed whatever to take place, reset it and let's start all over again. And now our promise for this week is going to be Second Corinthians 12 and nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And with that, I want to say everybody have a wonderful rest of your mother's day. Be kind to your mom as you should be every day. Being a mom is not easy, a parent for that matter. But today we're only talking about the moms. When Father's Day comes up, I'll hit you fathers up and give you your kudos. But today is about the mothers. So be blessed. Be wise when you act the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, okay? So with that, be a blessing to everyone. Enjoy your time. Have a wonderful day. And God's willing, I will speak to you guys again next week.